Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Polita Clark, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. Concern about climate change is rising around the world, on the streets, in parliaments and among investors. Questions about the future of fossil fuels are putting new pressure on companies and financial institutions. So here with me to discuss what this means are Hugh Van Steenis, Chair of the Sustainable Finance Committee at UBS and a former advisor to Bank of England Governor Mark Carney, and Billy Nauman, a reporter for the FT's Moral Money, which covers the world of sustainable finance. First, Billy, let's talk about some examples of the financial impact of climate change. What's been the economic fallout from the Australian bushfires? That's a very good example, I think. And it's one that's still kind of playing out, obviously. So it will take some time to see the true fallout. But Bank of America made some projections that the fires just for the first quarter of 2020 could subtract at least 0.2 to 0.4% from Australia's entire GDP. So yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah. And probably a bit worse than people were expecting only a month or six weeks ago. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, The numbers we're seeing on the insurance sector at this point, they don't jump off the page necessarily. I think there were close to 9,000 fire-related claims from September until early January. But that compares to just 1,400, 1,500 for the yearly average over the last five years, I think. So it's a massive uptick, and so much is still coming at this point. It's hard to say, with the crisis still playing out, how bad it's going to be. Right. Hugh, you recently wrote a piece for the FT about why investors and boards need to take climate risk into account. Now, are the Australian fires an example of that sort of risk or have other things changed as well? Australia is clearly a very stark reminder of the potential challenges, but I think it's a much broader range of issues. And I think there's obviously a push and a pull. We're seeing regulators start to impose stress tests on the banks and their insurers, particularly led by Governor Carney. But also there have been some great initiatives to improve the quality of data because the key issue is if you can't measure it, you can't risk manage it. And I think one of the companies and boards in particular realise they'll increasingly be held to account through numbers, which can be used both by investors, but also by pressure groups. And we shouldn't underestimate the impact of pressure groups grabbing and using this data. So far, it's been a kind of voluntary initiative. 900 of the biggest 1,500 companies now starting to measure their data, but bit by bit it's improving. But the other challenge is just investor behaviour themselves. A growing number of investors I meet are starting to say, well, there are going to be big value dispersions, not just from Australia. It could be from changes in tax, regulation, or brand impairment if people think the company's simply not honouring its responsibility to society. So it's it's a range of issues, but there is definitely a groundswell in the market. And that's certainly what we're seeing in our business. Yeah. You mentioned shareholder pressure there. We've just seen shareholders in Barclays Bank demanding that it start to phase out financing companies that are not aligned with the Paris Agreement. I wonder if I can ask both of you, this seems to be something of a step up in relation to shareholder action when it comes to financial institutions. Is that how you see it or do you think it's a trend we've already seen? Certainly, I see it's a growing trend. And I think it comes from particularly some of the asset owners, the big pension funds who are demanding action something like two-thirds of all new mandates which are granted have some sort of sustainable finance aspect. So they're pressurising the managers to put their money where their mouth is. But secondly, on Billy's side of the pond in the States, there's a much richer set of data around proxy voting. And one of the most striking statistics for me about the current round was that proxy votes around environment were as frequent as governance. And I think that's the first year that I've seen that. 
Yeah, that's absolutely been the trend, and it's been increasing. And one of the things I think is interesting is looking at some of these pressure groups, some of these activist groups, and they're really ramping up their efforts. I was at a thing in September around Climate Week here in New York, and it was the Principles for Responsible Banking, which is a big UN consortium of banks talking about what their responsibility is as bankers in terms of helping the world achieve the sustainable development goals. And even at that event, there was a group of protesters out there, and you could tell it really struck a chord with the bankers that were there. You know, they're thinking, well, we're the ones that are doing well. We've signed our names to this piece of paper, and we're pledging to do this. But from the activist groups, the message was, that's not enough. We need to see action on this. And they're very adamant about keeping up this pressure on the banks that are financing fossil fuel companies. That's the case, isn't it, Hugh, that the banks are moving, they are taking steps to be more transparent in many cases. But at the same time, activists are saying, listen, that's great, but we just want you to get out of fossil fuels. Yeah, look, I think this is very challenging because, you know, let's face it, finance is the arterial system of the economy. And so we obviously need power. And whilst I think many can be frustrated with the pace of change, this will be more evolutionary than revolutionary. Some stats that Governor Carney used recently is there's $100 trillion of power and sustainable projects which need to be financed over the next decade. And some of them are going to be green, so a new solar plant, but some of them are going to try to be improving the quality of what we've got. And we shouldn't underestimate improving the bad to good is actually still step forward. And I think that's a very nuanced and difficult argument for a financial organisation to make to a pressure group. I agree with what you said, and it is very important that we have financing for going from bad to good, from brown to green, or, or however you want to phrase it. But I think that that area gets very ripe for greenwashing, for putting money into things that are not actually improving climate emissions like they might say they are. Are you talking it, in relation to green bonds there, perhaps? Green bonds is a perfect example, yeah. And then there's these things called transition bonds, which is a relatively new development. You know, green bonds, you run into the problem where these companies are issuing green bonds for these projects that are allegedly going to improve carbon emissions, but it's just stuff they were going to do anyway. It's stuff they're mandated to do by some new set of regulations, and they're going out with this green bond and getting better terms as a result because they can label it as green. The transition bonds, it's something that's offered to companies that might not usually qualify for a green bond, but they need to transition to be more green. So this is a new category of financing available to these companies that helps them fund projects that move along that spectrum from brown to green. Yeah. And I mean, greenwashing is a concern, obviously. And it seems to me that more and more focus has come onto these sorts of bonds that some people find suspect. However, broadly speaking, isn't this a structural issue? I mean, doesn't it really point to the fact that there's not enough regulation, either national or international, of this market? I'm not sure if it's necessarily regulation, because, you know, if you make an example, Sir Chris Hone's desire that all of the companies in his portfolio disclose. Just actually... to explain, this is Sir Christopher Hone, who has a large hedge fund here in London, and he has said that he's not going to invest in any company that doesn't abide by the climate disclosure guidelines mm. that Mr Carney and you helped develop. Well, so Governor Carney sort of initiated. But I think that the bottom line here is that actually sometimes the activists and the regulators may not be that far apart. Obviously, there's a lot of good hard work to be done around the standards. So from the investor point of view, wouldn't it be great if as early as possible tomorrow, really, these guidelines, which, as you say, are currently voluntary, were made mandatory? So I think actually the best thing to do would be, say, within three years, 
it will be mandatory and they get companies to get on and do it. There are still some creases to iron out in the methodology. But I think, yeah, no, I would be very encouraging of that. Why should we wait three years when we've got the climate scientists telling us that this is a matter of extreme urgency and we really need to be cutting emissions as quickly as possible and therefore financing of fossil fuels needs to be effectively reined in? So for me, I would want all the companies to start today, but you may not want to codify methodologies which are still a work in progress. So I think it's by saying we will make it mandatory in three years and we really rather expect you to do it this year, is sort of where I'd get to. And Billy, what about in the US? Do you think that you're going to be seeing regulators introducing mandatory disclosure anytime soon? No, no. I don't think the political environment here is, is going to lead to that at all, unfortunately. And what does that mean then if we have a world in which we have, say, European countries are making it mandatory, the US and others are saying it's fine, you don't need to. What then happens if we have a very uneven playing field? Well, I mean, I think we kind of saw something like this with GDPR, right, where American companies have to abide by GDPR if they have European clients or do business in Europe. So it's it's not ideal that the U.S. is dragging its feet on these sorts of issues. But I do think that um, U.S. companies will have to come around to, to some degree, depending on what sort of regulation comes out of the EU. Just moving on to another area, do you think there are parts of the financial world that are performing well when it comes to taking climate concerns into account? For example, the green bond market is expected to keep growing this year, and we've already seen extraordinary growth there. Are there any other areas where we are starting to see real change? You're starting to see a lot of sustainability-linked loans, which are similar to green bonds, where banks are incentivizing borrowers to hit targets, whether that's emissions reductions by whatever means they can do it. And if they do so, they get better terms on their loans. That kind of stuff is growing a lot. I support you on that. There's lots of really interesting pockets. One of the ones which is hardly reported about is the private equity world are also trying to become more sustainable. An increasing number are creating their own sustainable funds. But also, if you turn this around, and it's not just around climate, if you've got a very concentrated portfolio, you really want to make sure your companies are being well run and that by the time you come to IPO or sell them, they actually look as valuable as possible. So there's an increasing focus on what I'd say is the sustainability of the franchise in all its manifestations. And clearly, firms will prioritise. But there's a growing market as well in private equity. I'm a little sceptical of, of a lot of the claims coming out of the private equity market. And that's because of the lack of transparency. A lot of the major, major companies have come out with these big impact funds. And when you look under the hood at some of the investments they've made, you know, there, since there are no kind of set definitions on what is impact or how impact is measured, some of them do look a little dubious. You know, I've been doing some research into one of the, the bigger impact funds and just looking at some of the underlying investments. This is the Bain Double Impact Fund, which is run by Deval Patrick, who's a former governor of Massachusetts, who's now running for president here in the U.S. And um, a lot of the investments are in home health care, which is a growing sector. But is that really impact or is that just a play for a sector that they think there's going to be growth in? I think some more transparency from the private equity market would help a lot in terms of if they do deserve credit on this to give them that credit. But I'm skeptical of a lot of their claims, to be frank. Right. I'd like to ask both of you when you think we will see major banks in Europe and on Wall Street no longer financing fossil fuels. Never. Sorry to be a downer, but unless there's strict regulation that says you cannot do this, someone will always do it. Okay. Never, Hugh? Look, we all want a society to keep our lights on. And so I, my sense is that this is an evolution. And I go back to the statistic. If there's a hundred trillion of investments to be made in energy, clean energy and transition, that's an extraordinary amount of money. 
and far more than central banks have been buying. And so whether it's capital markets or banks or insurers, there will need to be a financing of the overall transition. I think that what regulators can do, and what I was certainly arguing for in the piece is, through stress testing the banks, through providing better data, you can at least act to try and bring forward when that transition happens. And that's probably the best one can hope for. I mean, and even the process of that transition, though, is likely to have an impact on a lot of industries. And how should that be managed? Well, this comes down to the big public policy questions, which, you know, the FT writes about so eloquently. I mean, these are genuinely as much political questions as there are opportunities. I think that, you know, Al Gore says that investing in green tech is one of the biggest investment opportunities in his lifetime. And at one level, we need to also change the language so we're seeing as much the investment opportunities and mobilise the capital in the way that Governor Carney is going to be going on to do after the bank, as much as trying to stress test and think through the risks. And I think it's a bit of sticks and carrots here to try and nudge us along, but that's not going to take away the very big political challenges of, you know, who wants a carbon tax? I think that's an excellent point, actually, and I, I will amend my never. If there is a disruptive technology that makes fossil fuel obsolete, then they will stop financing it because it will no longer be profitable. Think about whale oil, I suppose. You know, you, you could compare it to that. When fossil fuels came along and made whale oil obsolete, then nobody was financing it anymore. So maybe if there is some sort of green technology that completely upends the energy sector, then that could lead to it from a financial perspective, I suppose. Billy, thank you very much. And Hugh, thank you. And thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our latest episodes on whether Greece can meet its economic targets, the end of the global telecoms company, and the killing of Qasem Soleimani, you can subscribe and listen on all the usual podcast platforms. If you enjoyed this episode of FT News in Focus, please rate us or leave a comment on your podcast provider. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.